Christchurch, New Malden, 29th of August 2021. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, Hope Amid the Broken Signposts, Mending Broken Signposts. Well, we thought just a bit earlier about how much we seem to value restoration. So it's very fitting that we're finishing this series where we've spent our time recognising how broken the signposts which point to God are in the world by focusing on mending broken signposts. Throughout this series, we've seen that the longings and yearnings we have for justice, beauty, freedom, spirituality, love, truth and power are natural and intrinsic because we are made in God's image and they are key facets of his nature and character. So it's probably unsurprising to realise that the value humanity places on restoration and renewal is also one we've inherited from God. God is very much in the business of restoration. The story of the Bible has the overarching theme of God wanting to restore. To restore his people to relationship with him through sacrificial love. To restore justice, truth and a right use of power as evil is overcome. To restore freedom from sin and death and to eventually restore the beauty and perfection of creation as his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. We see evidence of this throughout the Old Testament as God rescues his people time and again, intervening to restore their liberty, safety and well-being, even when they repeatedly reject him. This can take the dramatic form of a series of plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, as we see in the exodus from Egypt, where freedom is restored. Or the intimate personal whisper of God to Elijah on the mountain to restore his spirits from the depths of desperation. And throughout the Old Testament, God uses his people to carry out restoration too. Think of Esther restoring safety to the Jews through her brave actions, or Joseph, restoring freedom from hunger to his family, despite their treatment of him, or Ruth, restoring hope to Naomi through her loyalty and care, or Elisha, restoring Naaman from the shame and debilitation of leprosy, or Elijah, restoring life to the widow's son, and there are countless more examples that we could recount. But we know that the incarnation of Jesus provides us with the clearest picture of what God is like. God reveals himself to us in the person of his son. As Jesus replies to Philip in John 14 verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And our reading from Isaiah 61 is a beautiful prophecy of the restoration, healing and renewal which would be the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. Jesus himself quoted these words in the temple in his hometown of Nazareth, claiming, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
though he was then promptly rejected. We're going to think more about the example of Jesus in a moment, but we need to give thought to another key point first. Considering how fundamental the theme of restoration and renewal is in the Bible and to God's character, it's rather perplexing that the church has spent a very long time instilling the idea of going to heaven when we die as the point of being a Christian, as if we will be plucked away from the brokenness of this world and transported to some other perfect place, leaving the mess behind, abandoned. Thanks to theologians like Tom Wright, we now have a deeper and clearer understanding of passages like our second reading from Revelation 21. The final image of the Bible is of the new Jerusalem coming down to earth from heaven so that everything is made new and God's dwelling is with his people. His kingdom will truly come on earth as it is in heaven. We are given a beautiful image of God's restoration in full flow as he tenderly wipes every tear from our eyes in the knowledge that there will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. The final verses of the chapter help everything to slot into place. John points out that he saw no temple in the new city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. God's presence was with his people in the tabernacle as they wandered in the desert after the exodus. Then his presence was in the Holy of Holies in the temple, accessible only by a priest once a year. Then God's presence was fully revealed in the person of his son Jesus, who tabernacled among us. But here, in Revelation 21, we look forward to the day when God's dwelling place will be with his people, face to face, when the restoration and renewal of both our relationship with God and also of the earth he wondrously created will be complete. Throughout this series, we've been looking for hope amidst the broken signposts. And what a wonderful hope that is. And having seen the hope to be found in the fact that God is in the business of restoration, we can also take great comfort and assurance from the fact that Jesus meets us in the midst of brokenness. From his birth as a frail baby in a dirty stable to his cruel death nailed to a cross, Jesus' life completely embraced the brokenness of our world. This is the Jesus who broke down barriers by touching the untouchable when he reached out in compassion to lay his hand on the leper. This is the Jesus who rolled his sleeves up in love and service to wash the disciples' feet. Let's take one example from the many we could choose from by looking at Jesus' relationship with Peter. We find it easy to relate to Peter because of his impetuousness, his well-meaning failures and his realness. And we find hope 
as we see Jesus' patience with him, his repeated restoration, and the fact that Peter still has an important role to play in the service of God. Peter wants to walk towards Jesus on the water, but his enthusiasm turns to panic and doubt until Jesus reaches out his hand to steady him. Peter doesn't want Jesus to stoop to the ignominy of washing his feet, but when Jesus explains the significance, he wants to be washed all over instead. He promises he will never let Jesus down, but then betrays him three times before the rooster crows. And in a poignant scene, the resurrected Jesus echoes Peter's three betrayals by three times asking whether he loves him and commissioning him to care for Jesus' flock, the church. In his book, Broken Signposts, Tom Wright looks at each signpost in turn and demonstrates both how these signposts should point to God, but also how broken they are in the world. He makes the point that at no time is this more true than throughout the Easter story. The brokenness of justice is evident as Pilate is swayed by politics and threats. The brokenness of love is clear as, fresh from the loving act of their feet being washed by Jesus, Judas betrays him, Peter denies him, and the other disciples run away. The brokenness of spirituality is shown by the one who has claimed to be and have the water of life, now saying on the cross that he is thirsty. The brokenness of beauty is witnessed as creation is plunged into darkness at Golgotha. The brokenness of freedom is demonstrated by the release of Barabbas and Jesus' crucifixion in his place. The brokenness of truth is obvious in the sneering and manipulation of Jesus' so-called trial. And the brokenness of power is seen in Pilate's boast that he has the power to have Jesus killed or released, to which Jesus replies with the fact that such power has been given to him by God and carries great responsibility. <clears throat> In a blog on his website, Tom Wright reflects on this. Here is the twist, the extraordinary moment which I think helps to explain the power of the cross from that day to this. The story of Jesus as he goes to the cross is the story we all know. The story of what happens when our vision of the world and of ourselves come crashing down. Jesus comes to the place, not where the signposts originally appear to be pointing, but where they have collapsed. He continues, And this, I think, is why, paradoxically, the story of Jesus' crucifixion carries such power to this day. In this story, even if we can't really say why, we find that the God who we might have hoped would meet us in the place to which justice, love, freedom and truth had pointed, has instead come to meet us in the place where justice, love, freedom and truth were denied and trampled upon our place, our broken place, 
our broken world. Bearing in mind the overwhelming evidence we have had all around us of our brokenness and of the brokenness and fragility of our world during the pandemic, this message of Jesus meeting us right in the midst of brokenness is wonderfully poignant and encouraging. Tom Wright summarizes it like this. We find that Jesus comes precisely to the point where the broken signposts had ended up. There, in real human history, we find a God doing what no other God had ever dreamed of doing, coming to the place of human failure and brokenness to meet us right there. We found hope in the fact that God is in the business of restoration and that Jesus meets us in the midst of brokenness. But what about us? Where do we fit into this theme of mending broken signposts? Well, just like Esther, Joseph, Ruth, Elisha, Elijah, and all the rest, and just like Peter and all the other followers commissioned by Jesus, we have a big role to play. As we've already mentioned this morning and seen throughout the series, these signposts are imprinted within us as bearers of God's image. And as we grow in the family likeness, as our relationship with God strengthens and develops, these key tenets of God's character and values should be more and more visible in our lives, both in our words and our actions. If you have time to go back and listen to the earlier talks in the series discussing each signpost in turn, you will find helpful suggestions of how we can grow in our role as signposts and therefore bring God's hope into our fragile and broken world. In his concluding chapter of Broken Signposts, Tom Wright explains his prayerful vision for the impact of the book. Justice, love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth and power need not remain as elusive as they sometimes appear. By the power of the Spirit, they can become genuine signposts, mended signals, missional marker posts to show the wider world in action and in speech that the events concerning Jesus make sense of the world we know. They are not about escaping from creation. They are about its fulfilment. How we go about this mission as hope-bringing signposts, both corporately and individually, is completely wrapped up with the earlier points we've looked at this morning. We will bear witness to the fact that God is in the business of restoration by the way we take a stand and fight for the truth when it comes to issues of social justice, abuse of power, loss of freedom, or the destruction of God's beautiful creation. Hearing of God's sacrificial and costly love, the truth only to be found in him, and the freedom from sin and death he offers, is a desperate need of those around us for their personal restoration. But that message will far more wonderfully show God's care and compassion for our broken world 
and the reality of the kingdom he asks us to partner with him in ushering in if we also give the context of God's passion for the restoration of creation and society too, demonstrated through our actions as God's people. As the impact of the pandemic continues to dominate around the world, there are two other crises at the forefront of our thinking. Scientists have raised a red flag about the urgent need for action as the effects of climate change are seen in catastrophic weather events around the world. There are individual choices we can all make to show how seriously we are taking this issue in the knowledge that God has plans to restore and renew our planet rather than neglect and abandon. And the church should be vocal, proactive and united in the stand we take for the safeguarding of God's creation. And then there are the scenes and stories we see and hear daily of the terrifying situation in Afghanistan and the desperate plights of those fleeing from that country. As individuals, we could give money or practical donations we could volunteer to work with refugees or to sort gifts for distribution. Or perhaps we could even offer our spare room to house someone who has fled for their life. And again, the church must be united in standing up for the rights, both of those who have been able to escape and also of those who are fearing for their safety and freedom in Afghanistan. I used the word united in relation to both of those current crises. And unity is key across all areas as the church works together to play our part in mending broken signposts. When we are embattled in bitter disputes, we add to the brokenness rather than facilitating restoration and renewal. Unity can seem like an impossible goal if you confuse it with agreeing about everything and doing everything the same way. But we are united with God and if we take our mission from his agenda and vision for the world, we will be united in that too. The best illustration I have heard when it comes to unity is that of instruments being tuned to a tuning fork. If God is our tuning fork and we are in tune with him, then the differences in how we do things will work in harmony and our unity will give glory to God and success to our service of him. And then there's the blueprint for our mending signpost mission, which we should take from the fact that Jesus meets us in the midst of brokenness. As we mentioned earlier, Jesus reached out to touch the untouchable and was never afraid to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty. He uses broken people who have messed up. People like Peter. People like me. People like you. To meet with those around us in the midst of the mess and brokenness. With the hope of God's restoration and renewal. We should ask for his vision and help and the empowering of his spirit to step out of our comfort zones and meet people in the midst of their brokenness too. 
A lot of the ways we've been doing this, such as our community cafe, the night shelter and our grapevine lunch and home group, have been put on hold by the pandemic. As we are able to restart these initiatives, we can use this unique time to assess the strategies we have been using and to look for other opportunities to bring more of God's kingdom to our local community. And as members of our church family, we should be asking God to show us where we can most usefully be involved in this sphere of service. And just as Jesus got alongside the people he encountered, meeting them in the midst of their pain, their frustrations, their failures, their fragility, so we are called to draw alongside those we encounter. I saw this post on Facebook a few days ago, which seemed pertinent. When a flashlight grows dim or quits working, do you just throw it away? Of course not. You change the batteries. When a person messes up or finds themselves in a dark place, do you cast them aside? Of course not. You help them change their batteries. Some need AA, attention and affection. Some need AAA, attention, affection and acceptance. Some need C, compassion. Some need D, direction. And if they still don't seem to shine, simply sit with them quietly and share your light. Or perhaps we should say, share God's light, shining in us and through us. At the end of a series where we've been looking for hope amidst our, the broken signposts, how encouraging to be reminded that God is in the business of restoration and that Jesus meets us in the midst of brokenness. But how challenging to hear that God also wants to use us as agents of his restoration. As the song lyrics say, we are blessed to bless a world in pieces. We are loved to love where love is not. We are changed to be the change you promised. We are freed to be your hands, O oh God. Let's give Tom Wright the final word as he concludes his book with these words. The story of Jesus thus offers a new framework for understanding the world, the framework of victory over corruption and death itself and the launching of the new creation. The old questions were the right ones to ask. They indicate a deep human sense that the world is not after all, as it was meant to be. The intuition is correct. That is why the signposts appear broken. John tells us that the creator God has done, is doing, and will do through his son and his spirit to put things right. The signposts duly straightened out will then provide us with the template for our spirit-led mission, sent into the world as the Father had sent the Son.